All right, hockey fans, listen up because we've got something special cooked up for playoff season. It's called the Daily Faceoff Playoff Parlay Challenge, and it's going to add some serious spice to your playoff experience. Now, here's the deal every playoff game, you're going to be faced with a handful of questions. It's like your own personal playoff puzzle, and it's free to join. And there are prizes because who doesn't love winning stuff? Daily winners, you're getting hooked up with gift cards. Treat yourself to some nation gear or maybe even your favorite jersey. And for the big dogs, the people who can win an entire round, it's straight, cold, hard cash. We're talking about real dough for your hockey knowledge. So lace up those skates, stretch those thumbs, and get ready to show off your hockey IQ in the daily face-off playoff parlay challenge. Sign up today and play every game day at games.dailyfaceoff.com and prove your puck prowess. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Everyone knows therapy is great for solving problems, but getting therapy has its own problems too, like finding the right therapist, fitting into their schedule, and of course, the cost. Well, BetterHelp can solve those problems. It's totally online and built around your schedule. It's surprisingly affordable too. Connect with a credentialed therapist by phone, video, or online chat, all from the comfort of your home. Visit BetterHelp.com to learn more and save 10% on your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P. Can you see Did you The puck comes right to Pedersen, who tries a bank pass for Besser. In with a shot, he scores! A moment's notice. Adam's leaving. To the line, Hughes scores! In this existence, take you to the First career NHL goal, Quinn Hughes makes it 1 nothing. here like I don't I don't cover the Canucks yeah. I cover Quinn Hughes and what he's doing to the Canucks just wave the guy and get Demko involved I wanted them in and down wow we should do a radio show together <laughs> right on I want to fist bump you right now Pearl steals cutting in shoots scores don't waste all the good stuff on the off air. Let me know.
Hello Canucks fans, and welcome back to another episode of the Canucks Conversation, brought to you by the great folks at Zephyr Epic. My name is David Quadrelli, and I am joined, as always, by the man who built the place, Chris Faber. Chris, how's it going? We've just wrapped up, well, it feels like a week, but it's only been two games for the Vancouver Canucks. How you doing today? I'm doing good. I got a question for you right off the top, Quads. Is chicken wings considered a full meal, or is that a side dish? It's a side, but if you're a student... It's a full meal. Like I could absolutely down that. If I'm if I have a long night studying, you throw some of those in the oven. You get the ones from M M&M, and M M&M and M Meat Market or whatever food market now. I think it's called. You throw those in. You're you're good to go. You're laughing. Well, I've I think I've talked to you a lot in the past about flash food. It's my it's like food that uh, expires in a day or two. They sell it on there for really cheap. So I picked up some chicken wings. I got a bunch of chicken wings. Going to cook them up. But it like. I'm also making like a spinach and strawberry salad on the side. So I feel like that's that's a very acceptable adult meal. And, and you're the wrong person to ask since you're 20 years old. Yeah. But like <laughs> chicken wings and a salad, that's that's a dinner, right? Like that's a, that's a solid dinner, I think. Yeah, I'll, I'll eat the chicken wings. If you had me over for that meal, you know I wouldn't eat any of the salad. I would Dude, only have the chicken wings. No, like you know me, I don't like salads either, and it shows by my weight. But like <laughs> you could you could <laughs> you could also like go at this spinach salad, man. It's spinach, sliced up strawberries, all nice, some pecans, and then a raspberry vinaigrette, and it is it is one of my favorite salads. And like I don't really I don't like spinach. Like I know a lot of people put spinach in their omelets and breakfast food, Ugh. which I find crazy. And then like. People are into this. Like, people cook spinach and they put it in all this stuff. Even, like, ravioli with spinach in it. Not the biggest fan of it. Like, if I can get cheese and meat instead, I'm going to take that 100 out of 100 times. But this mm-hmm. this spinach salad, I'll tell you, I don't know. Maybe i got to post the recipe on Twitter or something because it, it is bomb. I uh, I think that everybody likes it. I haven't met a person who doesn't like it. And if you're feeling fancy or have some extra cash, you cut up a little bit of uh, feta cheese into cubes and throw it in there. And, ooh. Like, I don't think we have any feta in the house, but it's quite the salad when you get all the pieces put together. Wow, that actually sounds pretty pretty edible. Like, I think I think I could handle that. And I'm, I don't eat salad. Like, I really don't like salad. It's probably, like, my least favorite food is just salad. I just hate the texture of it. Anyways, we should hop into some Canucks talk, Chris. I think that's enough. People have heard enough about my, you and I having crappy diets. So, <laughs> let's hop into it. Big week for the Vancouver Canucks. They finish 1-1, one one, but tomorrow, when people are listening to this, we're recording this on Friday evening, when people are listening to this, the Canucks will be getting set to play the Calgary Flames. Not a back-to-back. They're going to be playing them Saturday and Monday, but it's the first game against Jacob Markstrom, Chris Tanev, and Josh Leva. How excited are you for that matchup before we break down what happened with the Oilers? Absolutely. I'm uh, I'm jacked up to see what the Canucks can do against Jacob Markstrom. He looked uh, pretty damn good in the first game that I saw him play for Calgary. I mean, he made that big save after misplaying the puck, or, or not really misplaying the puck, but I guess behind the net he was a little bit of a zoo going to get the puck, which, I don't know, he hasn't done that. He didn't do that a lot in the Canucks jersey, but there was definitely times where uh, you wanted to scream at Markstrom to stay in the crease. But yeah, I mean, <laughs> I'm excited to see what the Canucks do against this guy. And it's it's a really interesting situation with a goaltender moving. I mean, especially a guy who's who's been around this Canucks team for so long I mean he was he was a Vancouver Canuck all of his NHL career aside from like the little stint in in Florida I guess in his first couple years but to see what he did in Vancouver and to know all the shooters it's going to be interesting to see how the Canucks shooters go at a guy like Jacob Markstrom in the net because they faced off with him so much like nobody has probably taken more shots on on Jacob Markstrom than some of these Canucks players like I I bet that the most shots he's faced are against guys like Patterson and Besser and and Horvat like it's going to be really fun to watch that matchup 
let alone to to see what's going on with Chris Tanev as well. Did you see the um, his reaction? Sportsnet tweeted it out today. Uh, somebody asked him like, "Who are you most excited to bury on the Canucks team?" And I just thought that was like, I, like don't get me wrong, I try and have some fun with questions when I ask, and I think I do have some fun with them. But like that, that seemed like a weird question for me uh, to ask, and like I don't know, I just I don't think people are asking Travis Hamanick. Like here in the Vancouver market, like who are you excited to just bury on the on the Calgary Flames? But uh, yeah, I found that was an interesting question. And Chris Tanev was just like, I love all those guys, and it's just like, ah, oh, like man, like we're gonna, you know, I'm not gonna like like miss Chris Tanev on the ice because I know that he's been declining on the ice for a while. But just a guy around the room, I can only imagine the way the Canucks speak about him that they're they're gonna miss him around the room for sure. So yeah, big matchup. I'm excited to see what these guys do uh, against their former teammates, and it should be a fun game this weekend for sure couple of games, I guess. My favorite Chris Tanev story is when he was younger, I think like 2016, and he was asked about his opinion on aliens or something, and he was <laughs> asked, like, what would you do if you came across came across aliens and his answer was absolutely absurd and it was just like the most Chris Tanev thing ever I'm gonna look for it you know I'm gonna look for it but there was also another story someone tweeted out while I look for this uh, Chris Tanev thing someone tweeted it out they were like uh, they were like one time I was at a bar I saw Alex Edler and Chris Tanev sitting together not say a word and just drink for an hour and they didn't say <laughs> one word to each other and they just sat at the booth and I was just like that's exactly how everybody thinks a conversation and like going out to a bar together would happen between Chris Tanev and Alex Edler. So here's here's Chris Tanev's opinions on aliens, okay? Here here it is. He was asked how to foil a UFO abduction. Tanev do I even want to? If they were friendly, I'd probably go up and visit. I'm not sure if I believe in aliens, but I think there's something out there. I'd go and see what's up, and it would be cool. Unless they tried to probe me. Then I'd be in trouble, and I'd just hope that someone sees the rays of light from the ship, and maybe helicopters come shoot the thing. Stops. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> like, that is, like, my favorite, like, uh. off-ice Chris Hannah moment by far. But, you know, the story of him and Edler sitting at a bar for an hour and just not saying a word to each other is a very, very close second. But for me, Aliens beats it out. Yeah, there's no chance Chris Tanev and Alex Edler sat there for an hour. I feel like that's a little bit exaggerated, uh, whoever told that story. But, like, Must yeah, be. it's it's fun to think that that's what actually happened. I want to believe it, Chris. I, I want to believe it. Yeah, but we've seen we've seen the uh, the Swedish boys back when, when Edler was with uh, Louie down in Mexico. Like, those boys oh. were getting after it. I don't think Alex Edler's a quiet guy once you get a few drinks into him. He just does a good job of holding it all in with the media. Yeah, that's true. Yeah, that's that's the funny thing is like, how is Nate Schmidt and Alex Edler gonna mesh together, right? Just polar opposites, uh, polar opposite people. But you know, there was actually I, w- I want to plug it a little bit. I'm not sure if you've read it. If you haven't, I'll kind of carry this conversation. But there was an article from Harmon, and we were you know first day of training camp. Harmon doesn't recognize me, just like everybody else, because I grew out my hair. But uh, I was like, I was like, Harmon, how's it going? We were just talking. He's like, I'm working on a story about Nate Schmidt. And I'm talking to a bunch of his old teammates. He just wrapped up an interview with Tom Wilson of the Washington Capitals. And I was just like, holy cow, this story is going to be awesome. And I so badly wanted to tweet about it to build up hype, but I couldn't because it was just like, it was his story. I didn't want to steal his thunder there, but holy smokes, that was a that was a heck of a story, man. I don't know if you read it, but it's, yeah, the real Schmitty. I helped come up with the title for it. Harmon and I always bounce titles off each other, but yeah, we. Uh, I, I was the one that came up with the title for that article, so I'm hoping he sends me royalties soon. But yeah, that just, that article to me, 
me was just it not only was it a great read but holy cow it just really pulls back the curtain on what nate schmidt's really like and it's just it's so funny like he reminds me a lot of myself uh with the uh cleaning part i don't know if you read about that but he's like a clean freak uh so nick bukestad and him were sharing a apartment with two other of his college teammates and uh apparently someone like used his pan and they were using like a fork in the pan and scratching it and he just freaked out like he was he was like livid and them telling that story was quite quite fun but yeah Nate Schmidt scores his first goal as a Vancouver Canuck what did you think about his performance in his first two games in a Canucks uniform Chris yeah I thought that uh, I, I thought Nate Schmidt was going to be great and I thought that he was great in the very first two games for the Vancouver Canucks he was moving the puck well he's I, I, there's something about Nate Schmidt like did you notice how he can get a one-time slap shot off from anywhere on the ice? Like, any time that the puck is in his vicinity, like, he's able to get a one-timer off, which is something that we just haven't really seen from Canucks defensemen over the past, I don't know how many years, but it seems like any puck that's around him, you know, it doesn't have to be a perfect pass. He's able to get a one-time shot off, and, you know, just getting shots on net and getting shots through traffic is something that the Canucks need so much from their defensemen. And I just, I think that Nate Schmidt's done an excellent job of that. I know he had a he had a great game, uh, the second game against the Oilers, something like 19-6. to six. Uh, he controlled the scoring chances for like it was something ridiculous like that. So yeah, he's he's really added a lot to this Canucks team, and you know, saddled up with Alex Edler, I really I do start to like the pairing a lot. I mean, Nate Schmidt's going to be the guy who activates a ton, and I'm not saying it's at the level of what you see with Quinn Hughes out there, but as a second pairing version of a guy who can activate the offense from the back end, Nate Schmidt I think has done a great job so far through two games, and I I think that's the way that it's going to go throughout this whole season. Absolutely. I 100% agree with you. And one thing that's been interesting to me, Chris, is, you know, like when we talked about it, we we talked about the defense pairings and we knew that Nate Schmidt was going to play with Alex Edler. Uh, There was wishful thinking from both of us, I think, at times that we were going to see a lot of Hughes and Schmidt. But I think Travis has done an exceptional job kind of using that pairing when it's needed, right? Like you saw later in the game last night, they really needed a boost. So they put Schmidt with Hughes. And that's a pairing that moves well, and listen, Nate Schmidt was talking about a, a lot about um, how how it's kind of a learning curve for him to get used to guys, and they have to like kind of feed off each other because it's a bit of a new group for the Canucks. And he said like they just have to make that process take as quick as possible, right? And he he said like it can't take. more than five games right so it's like there's gonna be nights like the ones against the Oilers and I I think that was really cool to hear Nate Schmidt say and another thing was just he also um was talking post game just about that McDavid goal the one that came with just seconds left off the faceoff and he just basically said like he wasn't like defensive or anything he was just like no like that one's on me like I have to have him there and I don't know like we enjoy interviewing him because he's so bubbly and gives such great answers, but man, like, he's a really just down-to-earth guy, and he really just, like, I don't know, he he just, like, you, you hear, obviously, that he's a great teammate and everybody loves him, but, man, for a guy to just, like, put up his hand in his, like, second game with a new group and just say, like, yeah, that's my fault, like, I have to have that, that's just, I think that's kind of leading by example, you know what I mean? If everybody did that and everybody was held themselves accountable like Nate Schmidt does then you'd have a better team. You know what I mean? Like, I don't know. I just yeah. think that's a good sign of a leader, and it's just somebody you, you, you're very happy to add to your locker room. Yeah, I, like, you, you called it a leader there. I just think it's a great example of a good teammate, right? Like, you know, in a situation like that, a lot of players will just kind of bounce that off, and, 
and not mention it or kind of claim the mistake that they made. And, you know, I, it, it was a tough play. Like, I don't want to call it a mistake, but it was a play that he didn't execute to his 100% ability and he didn't make the play when he needed to make it. The fact that he absolutely claimed it and said, you know, that one's on me. Yeah, I, I love hearing that from a guy who who knows that he made a mistake at times because a lot, you know, a lot of players are going to make a lot of mistakes throughout the season. And I think when other teammates hear that or see that, it's like, you know, you respect him for at least claiming it and taking the fault for it. And it's something that uh, we're probably not going to see a ton of from Schmidt because I've really liked his game so far, man. I think through and through he's been, he's just been excellent on the ice. I think something about his ability to get shots on net reminds me a lot of what actually, like, to a very lesser degree, I think what Oldie Alevi has done. Like, Alevi's done, I think, a great job of getting some shots on net. And that's something that he was doing at the AHL a lot last year, was his ability to get shots on net, even if they weren't the most dangerous ones, but just get them through the little spaces that guys are making. And yeah. I think that was a huge problem in the second game for the Vancouver Canucks. So they had 29 block shots, the Edmonton Oilers did, in that game. Eight of those came on the power play, and 21 came at 5-on-5. Five five. The Canucks attempted 84 shot attempts in that second game against the Oilers, which is a ton. Like, that's almost Vegas Golden Knight numbers against the Vancouver Canucks last year in the playoffs. Like, 84 shot attempts is great. That's something that you want to have every single night out of your team. But the problem was 29 block shots, right? Like, that's tough. And I think mm-hmm. a lot of those came, you know, from just a guy like Nate Schmidt or even Ole Levy to a smaller degree actually getting shots on net. And I think that's something that this Canucks team is going to have to do because there's a lot of adjustments, I think. Even in the first two games, you could see it, like, there's a lot of adjustments coming from the Edmonton Oilers just in those two games to say we need to have a guy on Pedersen and we need to have a guy right in front of him when he's trying to take a shot. So this is something that is going to grow every single year with people seeing what Elias Pedersen's able to do with this shot. And you're going to have to be able to find some open lanes. And I think a lot of that's going to open up for the defenseman. So if Nate Schmidt's able to get that one-time slap shot off like he's been able to consistently do in the first two games, it's just going to boost the offense. And the Canucks are going to need that. They're going to need not really scoring from the back end like they obviously need that but like they're going to just need scoring chances that develop from the back end because their forwards are going to be keyed on a lot and the Elias Pettersson line is going to get a lot of tough matchups not only from the forward groups that they face off against but the defense pairings like when you come out with a JT Miller Elias Pettersson Brock Besser line that's going to be matched up in almost every single game we see this year with the other team's best defense pair. So getting some offense from that second line has been great, but at the same time, I think the back end is going to need to do a lot more of what we've seen from Nate Schmidt so far. Yeah, absolutely. I think, and that was another thing when I talk about Nate Schmidt being a leader, he even said like, he's like, our defense group needs to be much better than we were tonight. Like he, he put, not only did he take the blame for that goal himself, but he said as a whole, like our defense group wasn't good enough. And you know, it's kind of like, Nate, I know you haven't been here for long, but that was the best the Canucks defense group has played in many years. No, I'm just kidding. But um, <laughs> he's, you know, he, he understands. He yeah. understands that it's just not good enough, and he's definitely going to voice that in the room. Like, you have you no question that Nate Schmidt's going to be saying what he's saying to the media. He's going to be saying the exact same thing loudly in the Canucks room, right? Like, you know, this is a guy who likes to joke around, but, man, he's all business when it's game time. You can just tell, and... I don't know, like, his pre-game interviews are definitely more fun than his post-game interviews, but again, we've only only interviewed him post-game after a loss, so maybe we'll see what he's like after a win. But I think now's a good time to cut to break, and then we're going to talk to Dave Nordham, a uh, big fan of his, uh, on the other side of the break. And then after the chat with Dave, we'll close out with a little bit of talk previewing the week ahead for the Canucks. Chris will have his prospect report and much more. You are listening to the Canucks Conversation. 
All right, guys, very pleased to be joined now by Dave Nordum, good friend of the show. Dave, how are you doing, my friend? I'm doing pretty good today. How are you guys doing? We're doing good. Absolutely. Good day. Day off uh, from Canucks Hog. You felt like we were going to have it every single day for a little bit there after what we just had on opening couple nights. Yeah, good good couple nights, that's for sure. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so just for people who don't really know your story, Dave, and I, I think most people that have listened to this show have heard us talk about you, talk about the article we wrote about you and everything like that. But just for people who don't know you, why don't you just give them a quick rundown of your story? Um, yeah, so uh, 20, November, December 2019, I discovered um, what I thought was a canker sore in my mouth. Uh, January 2020, found out it was cancer. Had surgery to have that removed. Um, six weeks later, our shoulder was in the clear. So I'm like, all right, everything's good. My wife and I had a baby in um, June. Two weeks later, I found out the cancer had returned um, and it was in my lymph nodes. Um, and then from there, I started a long process of um, aggressively fighting this um, cancer. Um, so I had seven weeks of uh, chemo and radiation. So there's chemo was once a week for seven weeks. Radiation was five days a week for seven days, for seven weeks. Um, very aggressive treatment. Um, yeah, then of course, they're trying to recover since I'm still in the feeding tube. Um, Cause it's, I'm starting to get soft foods down now, but that's only the last week. Um, so can't really eat. I've lost about 75 pounds um, just from the treatment, stuff like that. Um, and basically the way it works with this kind of cancer is if this treatment doesn't didn't work or if it comes back, it will be classified as stage four terminal. Um, so you know, I just turned 40 in September and I've got two really young kids. And so we're really hoping and praying that this is not terminal. We're, we're hoping and praying with you, Dave. I mean, you've been an inspiration for everyone uh, on Canucks tw- Twitter and, you know, sharing your story, I think is, has been something so incredible for you to just put yourself out there like that. But uh, and you mentioned it, that you're still on the feeding tube a little bit, but I saw that you did have some fettuccine Alfredo. You said you yeah. got a cup of that. Yeah, it's pretty good. You know, I, um, from Eminem Meats. So um, I found out there's actually a few of their pastas that they, that they sell there that I can actually eat. Um, also really tasty. So <laughs> basically what I've been doing is living off uh, pastas the last few days. And um, tomorrow I'm going to get a bit more adventurous and, um, try an omelet and um, I talked with my nutritionist because they BC Cancer assigns a nutritionist in these situations as well. So um, we're going to try some, you know, put some shrimp and stuff in there and, you know, just anything really soft that's soft all the way through. So I can't eat breads, can't eat toast, can't eat rice, mm-hmm. um, but uh, soft things like eggs and um, white fish. Uh, can't do chicken, can't do beef, obviously. Mm-hmm. Um, just too much, but. Well, something that I was really happy to be a part of, Dave, was uh, the Canucks announcing that you were going to be their Hockey Fights Cancer uh, person that they dedicated everything to. And it was it was pretty cool for me to see because uh, I didn't really know what was going on, but I had somebody reach out to me and say, hey, can you give us Dave Nordham's phone number? So then I texted you and was just like, hey, is this okay? I have someone from the Canucks reaching out. And you said, yeah. And then I was super happy to see uh, about a week later, their video that they did for you with uh, Elias Pedersen. Can you just kind of talk about that a bit? Yeah, it was really cool. I mean, like I said, you contacted me to see if it was okay to give the number out. And uh, um, yeah, it turned out to be Derek Troy. Um, and so he interviewed me just like uh, you did. And he wrote a little bit of a story there. And uh, 
yeah. And then he said, yeah, so we're going to use you for Canucks uh, fight cancer. And like, I was really shocked because um, there are so many other worthy people out there. Right. So um, it was really cool. And then um, PD reached out and uh, sent me the Jersey, which was really cool. And um, yeah, so I've got the Jersey, it's autographed and um, wear it pr- proudly. So. Awesome, man. That's super, super great to hear. Uh, so <laughs> the Canucks have played two games so far. You've been able to watch both of them. Fantastic. Yeah. What have you thought about the team so far? Um, pretty much what I expect. Pretty much ex- exactly what I expect. You know, they're not going to be um, your top running gun offensive team. Um, they're going to have to win gritty, and they're going to have to fight for every single thing they got, especially the way everything else is shaping up um, in this division. Um, it's going to be tough, especially when they hit Winnipeg, and um, I hate to say it, even Ottawa is going to uh, present a challenge for Vancouver, but uh, uh, it could be a good fight as long as they get the right personnel in there. And um, hopefully, JT is back soon, and hopefully, Louis is not too long in the lineup. And, uh, and then we go from there. Yeah, absolutely. And uh, taking it back, speaking of JT, there, uh, I did some digging, Dave, uh, some reactions between yourself and myself. Uh, both of us kind of were against the JT Miller trade when it happened. Oh. Uh, I'm I'm going to read out your tweet and then you can react to it. Mine was in all caps, a conditional first question mark, exclamation point, question mark. Yours was what the hell? I like Jim's picks, but he gets screwed in trades. How the hell do we get a first for a salary dump? I think things have changed a little bit then since yeah. then though. Eh? Well, you know what? I still stand by what I said in terms of the cost acquisition. Mm-hmm. Well, I mean, if you look, if you look at it just from, in a vacuum, like we've talked about so many times this year. Yeah. JT for a first, that's a great trade. Mm-hmm. That is a great trade. But you look at it, Jim could have got him for a lot less. And True. that's what, that's what bothered me. Right? Um, I had no problems with JT Miller coming in. I had a problem with giving up a first round pick when they could have saved just on a second. Yeah. True. Right? Um, and that's, um, that would have been so much better. Right? Oh man, think about what that trade looks like if it's a second, right? Like it's an absolute grand slam. It's a home run right now, but if it's an absolute grand slam, if it's a second. So, yeah, exactly. uh, to, to dig up even more deeper, Dave, the first <laughs> reaction you and I ever had on Twitter uh, was episode 30 of the Canucks conversation. I announced that I was um, bringing on a couple of legends and I, I'm so, I'm so mad because we're 128 episodes into the show and I still have not brought the guest on that you wanted. You guessed Don Taylor as uh, the legend. And I can't believe I've let you down almost a hundred episodes later. And I still haven't had freaking Don Taylor on the show yet. And Donnie is one of the best. I mean, I'm older than both of you guys. So I grew up and watched him on sports page and you know, with a tie and stuff like that. And I've got to see him and uh, got to meet him a few times. Just popping into him at um, uh, Vancouver Giants games and Langley and stuff like that. He's a great guy to talk to. He knows so much. Um, yeah, he'd be a, he'd be a fun interview, I think. Soon, hey. soon on the show. Yeah, exactly. I was he doesn't answer any you. emails. That's the problem. I've, yeah. I've sent uh, at least twenty emails to the guy. Yeah, he is superstar. Uh, popular, so yeah, superstar <laughs> Don Taylor doesn't answer his own emails. Well, what you got to do is you got to call him to the show and ask him on air. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's so that should go over no. good. We'll have to send Dave in. <laughs> yeah. Well, yeah, I'll go in for sure. You know um, what, though? So- can I t- – t- I'll go back and tell a quick Don Taylor story just because quickly. Absolutely. Like, so I was at the media night for, for Jason Bot 
Oxford when he passed away. And I don't know how I was in there because I wasn't media at the time, um, but like I, I somehow got invited to the media night uh, and I got to attend it and I got to meet a ton of these radio personalities, people from Sportsnet, TSN, Athletic, everything. And like Don Taylor, for some reason, like was the only person that I was nervous to talk to. Like, I don't know what it was because like Dave, you mentioned it, talking to him must be so easy, but it, I think it was just like growing up as a kid. He was a guy that I watched every single night on Sportsnet Pacific like, I yep. thought he was just the best, and he was hilarious. He was the voice in the NHL video games. And, like, wow. he was the only guy I was nervous to talk to, I think, at that whole thing. Oh, I can understand that, too. I, I, I'd probably be more nervous to talk to him than anyone else. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. Dave, I want to ask you about your fandom. Growing up as a with a Canucks, fan, Canucks fandom, who is, your, who is your favorite player growing up? Uh, All-time, overall, Lyndon. I love Barry Skill the most. Lindy was my favorite player, though, because he encompassed the whole thing, including the character and the integrity. I mean, he is what Mr. Vancouver, basically. Mm-hmm. Right? And, um, I mean, my first memories is basically Trevor Lindy getting drafted. Mm-hmm. Um, so, I mean, I was in 88, and so I was just about eight years old at the time. So I, I started watching him in his rookie year and his, throughout his entire career. So um, I really got to... Uh, to experience that. So he was, yeah, my all-time favorite Canuck. And then um, I grew up watching him and, of course, Maryland, he was my all-time favorite player. But uh, again, same, same era, same game, right? So, Yeah, that's uh, that's really interesting because uh, I work out at Club 16, his gyms. So uh, I was, I always tell Chris, I'm like, yeah, we're going to, I'm going to go to the customer service at Club 16 and say, hey, I need Trevor Linden on my podcast. So that's, uh, that's maybe something we'll work on. Get your favorite Canuck on the uh on the podcast, but kind of, (laughs) absolutely kind of, kind of fast forwarding a bit to this year. Like you've watched two games. Who are you most looking forward to seeing the most from out of the new arrivals this year? I grew up being a goalie only because I had an older brother who needed someone to shoot on. So uh, I'm interested in seeing Hopi. I've always liked Hopi. Um, I wasn't scared by his numbers declining. A because of Ian Clark and B because I know how bad defensively Washington was. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, I mean, if you think about it, I hope he's only a few months older than Markstrom. He's got overall better career than Markstrom. I mean, I have faith in him still. So I think yeah. he's probably most, most interested in him um, coming in. And I mean, with the young guys coming in, obviously the two guys that aren't goaltenders, like uh, I might just dip out of this conversation if you guys start going off because Dave, I, I could, the two Daves now, like goaltenders. So that's great to know. <laughs> I was the older brother who made my younger brother go in that. Uh, but the two guys outside of the uh, crease will stick there for a little bit. Yalevi and Hoglander, uh, just early results. What do you think from the two games that we've seen so far? Oh, I love both of them. I mean, Hoglander has done more than I expected. Um, I expect him to be shut down pretty good, to be honest, in the first couple of games. Um, but he's, you know, he's got that stocky build, so he can work with anybody in corners. He's not afraid to get in dirty areas, which is going to help him so much. Um, and then Yalevi, I mean, He's been – the best way to describe it is you haven't heard them say his name a lot, which is a good thing for a defenseman, especially one who's going to be more defensive-oriented, and I think that's perfect for him. Absolutely. One of the one of the things that we talked about a lot during this episode, uh, and something I went in a little deep on, was the pairings. I, I like the idea of a guy like Yolevi maybe playing with Hamannick instead. I think that – you know, Tyler Myers at times in his own zone can be a little bit of a zoo. And at times, Yulevi's yeah. going to have times where he's going to look like a zoo. He's a rookie <laughs> coming out of the AHL. 
Um, if you were to be the coach for a day, what would your defensive pairings come out like? Um, actually, I agree with you wholeheartedly. Um, I was hoping that Canucks would get a veteran right-handed defenseman to play with Ulevi. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think Hamannick's a perfect fit. I mean, he's, I mean, basically what um, Canada was to Hughes last year, you know, the old veteran, you know, kind of keeping the other one calm and I think that's, and making it for the other one's mistakes. So I think that's perfect. And um, I would have done the exact same thing. Um, either that, or I would have, um, it depends on how Rafferty was doing, but I like, I don't want to see Rafferty get into some games as well. Yeah. I would have put Rafferty beside um, uh, Schmidt, put Schmidt on the left. Hmm. I haven't heard that one very often. <laughs> I like that. I like that. We Yeah, we talked a lot about the defense pairings, but I wanted to ask you, Dave, uh, did you get a chance to watch the World Juniors? Oh, yeah. Watch every single game. So, what did you think of a silly pod Colton? Um, I thought he was real good. Um, I thought people were basically overblowing it. I mean, like I said, he wasn't scoring 10 goals a game and people were like, oh no, he's going to be a bust and blah, blah, blah. <laughs> yeah. Like, come on guys. Like the U S is best ever player before this year, Jordan Schrader. And yeah, he had a great career. I don't know if you guys, I mean, quads, you're probably not even old enough to remember that he was a Canuck draft pick. <laughs> he isn't. <laughs> and, uh, you know, I remember, I mean, I actually met um, Schrader a few times through this when he was going, trying to fight his way into the lineup. And, uh, yeah, no, wasn't happening. But even Cody Hudson, you know, tore yep. that, the juniors apart. And, you know, he didn't have much of a career, right? So, World Juniors does not make or break your career. It's what you do afterwards. And he's got the determination. Uh, our calls will be fine. Um, no, I'm not ready to give a top six role right away. But, I mean, who knows? You could definitely turn out to be one, right? So. Absolutely. I think he's in a similar spot to Huglander, how he's going to just benefit from playing with better players. I think that the skill set that they show, you know, is going to just show to the extreme when they get better players. But that, that's something that's going to be argued on Canucks Twitter until until he gets out of the KHL anyways. But arguing on Canucks Twitter is obviously something that we see a ton of. But Dave, how does it feel to be the man that everybody has come together for on Canucks Twitter? I don't think I've ever seen this on Canucks Twitter, but you have been a story that I think everyone can agree on here that they, you know, everybody's in support of you, at least. It's uh humbling is the best way to say it. You know, um, I mean, I've always been a type of person that just, I don't like to rock the boat. Um, I'd rather build people up instead of tear them down. And obviously Twitter's typically not meant for that. Apparently um, <laughs> usually it's try to rip everybody apart that you can, but um I mean, still, I'm still going to try to use Twitter to do that, to build people up instead of tear them down. And um, I've never done anything for publicity or or recognition, but um, it's humbling and it's a tremendous honor, you know, to to be known, so to speak, by Canucks Twitter and to be respected that people rallying around me. It's like, what did I do to deserve it? Like, I've done nothing to deserve it. It's all... Um, yeah, it's all beyond my control. So that's why it's especially happening, right? Because, like I said, I mean, I've done nothing special. I'm just a guy who's pushing through cancer and, you know, one day at a time and trying to make people happy in the process. I think I think that's what uh, I think you're understanding a little bit, Dave. I mean, you've been uh, you've been an inspiration, I think, to a lot of people and just the way that you've been fighting and sharing it with with people on Canucks Twitter. I've appreciated the updates uh, you know, I think that some of the most celebrated things, the things that bring a smile to my face the most is when I wake up and I see one of your tweets about, you know, the tweet of you getting out of the hospital. That was 
incredible to see or the first pick of you back at home with your kids. It's just been, uh, I want to say just thank you for, for, you know, taking us along this ride with you because I think that, you know, um, Canucks Twitter is a mess. It's a cesspool a lot of the time. That's <laughs> why uh, the mute button's been great over the past little bit for me. But uh, one of the people I definitely won't be muting is you. So I, I just want to say thanks okay. for, for everything that uh, that you've been able to share with us along the way. It's been it's been a fun ride, and we're rooting for you, uh, you know, to keep kicking ass, man. I think that, uh, you know, especially through the pandemic, you know, like it, it, there's so much crap out there. Uh, I just want to say thanks for for sharing your story. It was, it was a, you know, it was a just inspirational, and I and I loved it, man. Thank you very much. Well, thank you, thank you. Yeah, yeah, and Dave, again, thanks for chatting with us. Thank you for chatting with me. I'm I'm just so happy that uh, that first story that I was able to do uh, with you turned out the way it did. I'm I'm really yeah. really happy we were able to get your cause out there. So. Before we wrap up here, I just want to remind everybody to check out your GoFundMe. Is it still the pinned tweet on your profile? Um, I don't know. It's okay. We're going to make sure. We'll retweet it. We'll make sure people can we'll, find uh, We'll GoFundMe. pin it to Canucks Combo for sure, especially. We'll yes. put it out there. On the Birthday Boy Luke uh, reposted it today too. So. Good. Um, there you another go. good Perfect. one. Perfect. Yeah. Yeah. Great guy. Uh, awesome. Okay, Dave. Well, thank you so much for taking the time and we'll talk thank to you soon, you. buddy. Yeah. You too. Oddshark.com is your home for sports odds, picks, betting, and futures. Speaking of futures, my big bet right now is taking Braden Holtby to win the Vesna. You've heard Chris and I talk about that if there's anybody that can get Holtby back, it's Ian Clark. So we bet, well, we, I say we, it was just me. I bet that Braden Holtby would win the Vesna. That's my big bet. Go make a play at oddshark.com. All right, short and sweet one here for our friends at Mike's Hard Lemonade, the Blue Freeze. If you haven't tried it, folks, you need to get out and try the Mike's Hard Blue Freeze. By far my favorite alcoholic beverage on the market right now. If you're going to just enjoy a few drinks at a game or it's a Saturday night and you got a Zoom party with some of your friends, take yourself down to the BC Liquor Store which or your local liquor store, wherever you get drinks, pick up some Mike's Hard Blue Freeze, the best tastiest drink on the market right now that's right folks hockey season is back and so is parallel 49 with some of their new beers if you didn't try it last year that was the first year that they released the apricotopus sour the apricot sour i highly recommend that one one of my favorite sour beers and another seasonal one that's come out is the sea salted caramel scotch ale uh, this one's a little bit of a stronger beer, so only a couple of these should probably get you through a Canucks game this year. And don't forget to be sure to try out all of their classics like the Trash Panda and Jerkface 9000, or even the Tricycle if you want to mix it up and have yourself a little bit of a Rattler as well. So go out and try Parallel 49 Beers and follow them on all their social medias. And before we go any further, just wanted to give a quick shout out to the presenting sponsor of the Canucks Conversation podcast, Zephyr Epic, Canada's source for trading card games and sports cards. We open a lot of hockey cards from them, and you can too. You can use promo code CANUCKSCONVO for $5 off your order. They ship free anywhere in Canada on orders over $50, so take advantage of that. Again, that is promo code CANUCKSCONVO at ZephyrEpic.com, Z-E-P-H-Y-R, Epic, on all platforms, on Twitter, Instagram, and join them on Twitch every Thursday for weekly case break giveaways. Chris and I have a lot of fun doing these. You guys should check them out as well. We've been having a lot of luck. We opened a lot of Quinn Hughes cards, and now we're doing the DPetro diving. You can catch us on Twitter and Instagram opening hockey cards 
at random times. It's really hard to find out when we're going to do it because we don't really know when we're going to do it. But be on the lookout for that and make sure you go buy yourself some hockey cards, whatever cards you need from Zephyr Epic. Z-E-P-H-Y-R Epic on all platforms. And a huge thank you to all of our sponsors and a special, special, special thank you to our friend Dave Nordum. Always a pleasure to talk to him. Chris, we have to talk a lot. You got mad at me for shutting shutting down the first part of the episode there, cutting to break that early. We still have a lot to talk about here. Uh, one name that you mentioned that we hadn't even talked about in the first 15 minutes of the show was Nils Hoglander. And I know that's a name you want to talk about quite a bit. So what do you think of Hoglander through his first two games? And how do you think it kind of changed what we saw in training camp? Like, do you think he looked all that different? Were you expecting him to look all that different? Like, what were your thoughts on Hoglander? I thought he was excellent. I thought he was one of the best forwards of the Vancouver Canucks over the first two games. And I think that he fit right into whatever spot that the Canucks or Travis Green really put him into. I mean, he started off with the Horvat line and ran through the first game, scored his first goal. And then in the second game, he's a guy who's getting moved around a ton and playing a lot of minutes at five on five, to be honest. And I think that that's something that's been been great to see and like I've said a lot like he's he's just shocked me every single step of the way here I've watched a ton of him in the SHL and I couldn't have predicted this I think that he's the smaller ice is benefiting the way that he brings his highest end skills to the game I think that his quick decision making his quick skating his turning his passing everything looks good at the NHL level so far and not to mention, like, he's holding up on his own against some of the bigger defensemen that a lot of people were worried were just going to bury him in the corners. So there's there's a lot to like about what Huglander's doing. I think the one thing that's just at a very high level right now is his passing ability and ability to just kind of read plays and slow things down and make the right pass. I think he's done a great job of that. There was a play where he came in on the right wing and made a little bit of a deke. This is in the second game. Deeks into the corner, comes out, holds onto the puck for a couple extra seconds, and then finds a defenseman coming in wide open in the slot. So that's the thing that Huglander is going to do. I mean, he's going to be able to extend offensive plays and give you a better opportunity to create scoring chances. And he hasn't looked bad in his own zone as well. So I think that there's a lot to like about his first two games so far. And I think he's going to continue to, you know, just, I wouldn't say like a maze because there are going to be times that we saw even in the, in the second game there with his giveaway that, you know, he's a rookie still, right? Like he's going to make mistakes, but I think that so far a lot of his play has really just shocked Canucks fans and, and shocked me, honestly, like, like I've seen this kid play a lot, man. And I knew that he was going to be something special in certain parts of the ice, but there's parts of his game that, he he's doing at a higher level at the NHL than he was at the SHL. And I, I tweeted to this actually earlier this week. I think that his situation and the way that he plays, like he really, really benefits from being with better players. Like there's times where I was watching SHL games and he was making great passes. And I just, it felt like he was ahead of the play a lot of the times in the SHL. And yeah, he didn't put up godly numbers in the SHL. Like we saw with Pedersen, but he was doing a lot that you had to like in the SHL games. And I just think that he's taken it to another level somehow with these better teammates. And it's going to be a similar thing with the silly pod Colson. I mean, he's a guy who, who really needs to play with NHL competition to see the best of him. And I think that's a lot what we're seeing with Niels Huglander right now. Really, really interesting wrinkle to all of this, Chris is Justin Bailey and Louis Erickson swapping places on the taxi squad. So 
Louis was on waivers, then he was on the taxi squad, Justin Bailey was on the active roster. Now they've switched. This afternoon, the Canucks announced Justin Bailey's going to the taxi squad, and Louis Erickson is coming onto the active roster. It doesn't look good. I, I don't know if you remember, but two episodes ago, before JT Miller was, uh, was, was in the COVID protocol and was still in the lineup, I said, Louis Erickson has played his last game as a Vancouver Canuck. You said, no, man, Louis is inevitable, basically. And that's exactly what it looks like is going to happen. Like, this guy is finding his way back in to the lineup. And, Chris, it looks like he's going to the top six. What I predict, this is what I predict, is Nils Hoglander is going to go play on the first line alongside Elias Pettersson and Brock Besser. Louis Erickson is going to play on the Horvat line. And once again, the Horvat line is going to be used in more of a matchup role until JT Miller can come back and help out the Lotto line because holy smokes, Jake Vertanen did not look good on that line. And this this isn't even me burying Jake Vertanen. The coach of the team was asked why he took Vertanen off the line and he said the line wasn't doing anything. They just weren't generating anything. I had to make a change. And he was right. And then that's what we saw against Edmonton on Wednesday night. We saw Adam Gaudet take a twirl there. We saw Tyler freaking Mott take a twirl on that line. Like, it was basically anybody but Vertanen. And, man, I think a lot of people are really, like, you know, we, we're we not really people who rag on him a ton, but people know that we're not too high on his game. And I think a lot of people are starting to realize why. Like, you just see that, you know, doesn't really want to go into board battles. And there's there's a ton of other reasons as well. And it's just, I think a lot more people after these first two games have kind of seen, you know, Know, oh, maybe this is what people are talking about when they say Jake Vertanen is not what everybody seems to think he is. Yeah, and Calgary is a really interesting opponent to go back to Louis Erickson on the Horvat line because they don't really have that one line that's elite, right? Like you don't have a Connor McDavid on that team or you don't have an Austin Matthews on that team. So it's going to be interesting if they like this. This could be an opportunity to go back to Louis Erickson if you're looking at you know how Travis Green wants to mix it around with his top six group. But at the same time, it's also, I think, an opportunity for Jake to give one more chance here. Um, as we're in the early parts of the season, we're already talking about chances for Jake Vertanen, which isn't great. But I think that going into this game on Saturday, like it wouldn't shock me to see Louis Erickson. But I'm also kind of 50-50 in the, in the top six to see if Jake Vertanen stays there. And they go with Huglander still on the Horvat line. I just think that there's an opportunity for Jake to have a good game. Saturday night, you're playing Calgary Flames. It's it's still an opportunity to keep Huglander in the top six, to keep Vertan in there, and keep Louie out of the lineup. But, like, yeah, it, it's really 50-50 for me to see if Louie's going to be in for Saturday because, yeah, that's a that's a move that Travis Green could go to, right? It's a veteran that he can trust to be good in his defensive zone, but unfortunately then you're going to see a huge drop-off in offense that comes from that Horvat line. And, and I thought the Horvat line has looked really good, like really good at creating offense compared to what we've seen in the past when Huglander's on that line just because of the, the extra added time that Huglander brings to your offensive possession. And I think he's clicked pretty good with those guys because I, there's a lot that Pearson does that you like alongside Bo Horvat, right? Like there's there's not a lot of stuff that Pearson does that looks good with a guy like Pedersen and Besser. I thought that that trio was given a little bit of a run at the end of the Edmonton game. And I, I'm sorry, but I hate that trio together. I, I do not like Tanner Pearson on that line at all. I think, God, that's a better option. And I think Hollander's a better option. I think there's a lot of other better options. Like Pearson just fits with Horvat and it works. I think you need to keep those two guys together. And then you're just looking at like, okay, does Huglander make sense there? Because then you have to put Jake on the top line. Like you're not going to put Louie on the top line, right? So I think looking at your top six as a whole, 
I still think it's better with Jake Vertanen there than Louis Erickson because I know that Huglander's going to be there. I know Horvat's going to be there, Pearson, Pedersen, Besser. But like the interchangeable pieces, I still think that Jake's better on that Pedersen line than you're going to get when you put Louis on the Horvat line. I think you're absolutely right, and I think you make a really good point about Calgary not really having that one line. You can kind of space out the offense a little more, and you can you don't really have to have a big shutdown top six line. I like it. Like I, I don't dislike it. I just wonder, based on Travis's comments and you know what he did with Jake on that night. Like Jake, Jake didn't get any ice time after that. Like it was just he was done. It was just Travis was done with him, and I wonder if it's like if Travis is ready to go right back to it, you know, after he was really disappointed with that line. I, I don't know, Chris, like I just see Louis Erickson getting called up and I think to myself, okay, like this is a guy that's going to play. He's going to play. And I don't think he, they're going to break up the fourth line. The fourth line has surprisingly been pretty good. Like all things considered, Brandon Sutter, Jay Beagle and Tyler Mott have held their own at five on five. They've actually played pretty well. You can see that with the eye test. You can see with the analytics, whatever you want. They've looked pretty good. And I think that third line is something that maybe you tweak, but you don't put Erickson on a third line. I think you put Vertanen on a third line. And that's, that's why to me, it just seems like the move that's going to happen is Erickson's going on the Horvat line and Hoglander is going on the first line. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I get that too. I just think that what you're battling against right now, like your two options are, are you real? Are you going to limit the scoring that you're going to get out of the Horvat line almost completely by putting Louis Erickson there? Or are you going to limit the Pedersen line by having a guy like Jake Vertanen or an Adam Goddard or a Tyler Mott, whoever you want to put there, like which line do you want to limit more, right? Like that's, that's kind yeah. of the problem here because like Louis is going to limit that line, but if Jake doesn't work in the game and you have to move players around – you you limit the Pedersen's line scoring ability. But we did see in game one that, you know, Jake, even though he didn't really contribute on the offense, like Pedersen and Besser were able to do it on their own, right? Like Besser scored that goal. Yeah. Like, for can we touch on the, the two Besser goals? How nice are both those passes, right? Like Quinn Hughes oh. off of his ass makes a great pass. And then Brock Besser's, fam- like his quote from the game was, Pedersen put it on his ass, <laughs> like in the second uh, goal. So, I mean, like great passes, and I think that that's why I lean towards keeping Jake on that line is because, yeah, Jake's going to bring something to a first line, right? Like, he is going to bring something. He's not going to bring certain things like a lot of people want to see, but he's going to bring something to that line that might help them out in certain situations. I just don't see that Louis Erickson brings enough offense for you to like enough to have in your top six. Like, Jake at least brings some chance and potential for offense, and you need to have potential for offense in your top six. So, like, that's why mm. I like the idea of keeping Jake there. But then that's the problem. Like, if he does suck again, like, he, he hasn't been great to start. And if he continues to not be great, unfortunately, they're going to, you know, Travis is going to have to go into the line blender like he did in the game two against the Oilers. And that just, it just makes a mess of things for Patterson and Besser because it's a different player every shift on the ice. And, you know, that's that's not what you want for your best players. Like, your best two scorers on your team right now with JT Miller out like you want to put them in the best situation possible. So then, you know, looking at it from that point of view, Huglander does make a lot of sense there, but then it limits the top six. There's a lot of questions already in the Canucks top six, and that's unfortunate, but I think we kind of expected that at the same time. And to speak on the Jay Beagle thing real quick, Jay Beagle is currently leading the Canucks in controlling possession with his Corsi (laughs) at 70%. And the funny, like the craziest thing is, like, he's had tough matchups. I think he's played a lot against the Pedersen, uh, or sorry, against the McDavid 
Hard, sorry, sorry. I uh, get confused sometimes thinking about the best players in the league with Patterson and McDavid. Uh, but he played a lot against uh, McDavid. And he played a lot against Dreisaitl. His control of the scoring chances at 5-on-5, five five, with Jay Beagle on the ice, the Canucks had 16 scoring chances and only 6 against. Jay Beagle is leading the Canucks in scoring chances for percentage and Corsi percentage right now, which is crazy to think about. Yeah. And they've been getting their chances. Yeah, they've been getting it. No, like they've been getting their chances. Like there was times where where Brandon Sutter was around the crease with the puck near his stick and he couldn't finish a couple times. And it's like, like it was great to see. Like these guys tend to be pretty good at the start of the year, right? Before (laughs) the legs start to go or an injury kind of happens and you don't hear about it. Like these guys do tend to be pretty decent at times to the Canucks in the bottom six. Like, yeah, they're paid too much and, and they don't bring a lot to a lot of parts of the ice, but there are times where, where these guys can, you know, help your team. I think in the end, like, Jay Beagle can help your team. Brandon Sutter can help your team. Tyler Mott helps your team. Like, if that fourth line stays together and does an okay job, like, that's fine. Especially if we're only going to get it for a handful of games or a dozen games here to start the season. Like, ride that goddamn Jay Beagle bus, man. Like, let's roll. If that's a, if that's the team, that like, the line that's leading them in a lot of these analytic numbers, like, ride that Beagle bus, man. I'm all for it. <laughs> I love it. Ride the Beagle Bus. That's what you should. That's what we should title this episode, eh? Ride Absolutely. the Beagle Bus, episode hey, one hundred twenty-eight. Take take a random shot in the dark at who's second on the team in Corsi percentage. Uh, Tyler Mott. No, Oli Yolevi with twenty-five shot wow. attempts and eleven against. I think that okay. Yeah, yeah. Let's talk about Oli Yolevi because I thought he's looked fine. The big con- the big concern you and I both had, Chris, and I think anybody who's watched Yolevi at the AHL level, uh, was was him getting turnstiled on the rush, right? And we definitely have seen that through his first two games. It's no secret that's his big weakness, that's his big area for improvement, but I thought otherwise, he's looked pretty fine. Like, breaking out the puck with the passes, like, we know that's one of his strengths, he's looked great at that. Didn't see it a lot in training camp, him getting turnstiled on the rush, but holy cow, we've seen it a few times uh, in these first two games against Edmonton. There was one moment there at the end of the first period where it caused all the reporters, all the all the fans on Twitter to tweet at the exact same time that all the levies looked really good this period because on opening night, Leon Dreisaitl tried to blow past him. And I don't know if you remember, Quinn Hughes, the first time he played against Edmonton, that exact scenario happened. Dreisaitl just dumped him to the ice and people are like oh he's too small and you know all the all the all those brutal takes came in but with Yolevi he held him off and people noticed people were tweeting right away they're like oh what a solid period because you know it kind of capped off what was an exceptional first period of play for Yolevi then he has a much much tougher second period uh I don't know like it was it was not great for sure his second game and I don't know. It's just, I, it's a learning process, right? Like that's the thing that people need to remember with defensemen. Like not everybody's going to be Quinn Hughes, especially a guy like Yo Levy. He's not going to be Quinn Hughes and there's going to be mistakes and there's going to be hiccups. And that's same goes for Hoglander, right? Like he's not Elias Pettersson and even Elias Pettersson made mistakes every once in a while, especially in his rookie year. So I don't know. Like when I look at these two rookies that the Canucks have, I think people need to kind of pump the brakes on their expectations a little bit, especially with Yo Levy. But with Hoglander, I just I think he he really is showing that he can play all areas of the ice. It's just you know I think Travis kind of needs to keep that longer leash on him, and I think you know 
that being said, like he was playing matchups in night one and, you know, obviously Travis didn't have first change, didn't get to control the matchups, but he was doing fine on the Horvat line. So I think, you know, after that turnover or whatever, like I don't think you want to take away a player's confidence. That's something Travis talked about with Yolevi. Like he put him right back out there after Yolevi had a turnover with Hoglander and that turnover that led to a goal. I think to kind of keep his confidence up, maybe you do go to Louis. Maybe you put him on the first line with Elias Patterson and really put him in a in a scenario to succeed. And again, Canucks don't have first change. So it's not like the Canucks are just going to be playing against, you know, they're not going to be playing against whoever the fourth line is for the flames. Like they're going to be playing against the Gaudreau line, uh, most likely. So that's not an easy matchup by any means for Hoglander, but I think you're putting him in more of a position to succeed, which again, kind of ties back to why I think Louis back in the top six on Saturday and Monday. Right. I, I want to go back to Yolevi for a second. Just, Absolutely. I think that, so, like, a lot of people are excited for Ole Olevi to jump in the lineup and finally be an NHL player. I just, there's going to be a lot of plays in the defensive zone when he's playing with specifically Tyler Myers where you're going to scratch your head and wonder what the hell these two are doing. Like, honestly. Like, there's a lot of the time, I hate to say it, but, like, Ole Olevi and Tyler Myers are going to stand still a lot in the defensive zone. We've seen it a lot already. You know, they, there hasn't been a ton of goals come from it because they've only been on the ice for one goal against. But, like, you've seen it with Tyler Myers that he's not great at controlling the area around the crease when, when a, a skilled forward has the puck around the crease. Tyler Myers just doesn't do a great job of defending at it with his stick. And I think that we're going to see a very similar thing with Ole Levy where, you know, players driving around him and then going towards the crease is going to be a problem. And unfortunately for Levy, there's not a guy like a Travis Hamannick or a Chris Tanev type that is going to be there to bail him out because it's Tyler Myers as his partner, which is another reason why I really think that Yolevi or Rathbone should be playing with Hamannick, and I think you should rotate those two players with Hamannick, and I really think Quinn Hughes should be playing with Tyler Myers because Quinn Hughes has shown so far this year that it looks like his his ability to defend and control play with a stick in the defensive zone, it looks like it's improved. Like He's doing a great job of stick-checking guys in his own zone, and I think that's the biggest weakness in Tyler Myers' game is his ability to stick check in his own zone in tight. And I think that they're going to be great together in the offensive zone. That's why, like, I really, I just, I think that this pairing of Yolevi and Myers, I, I think I said it last week, like, it, it has the feeling to me of a Hutton Goodbranson line where it makes a lot of sense mm-hmm. on paper, but when you see it on the ice, it just doesn't work. And I... Like they, like I said, like Yolevi's been fine. Like he's got the second highest Corsi on the team. Tyler Mott's been up there, or Tyler Myers has been up there as well. He's got a decent Corsi. Like they've looked pretty okay together. But I just, I think in the long run, having Yolevi and Rathbone rotate with Hamnick on your third pairing is better for the defense core. I think at the end, like you're going to see a lot of minutes for Tyler Myers. Like we've already seen it that he's got, you know, 10 minutes more than Yolevi, his defensive partner, at five on five in two games. Like this is something that. Like I, I don't know how long it's going to take to get to that point where we've seen you know, Levy and Myers together make so many mistakes in the defensive zone with their coverage, but I, I don't think it's going to take long, to be honest. I think that you know, Levy and Rathbone paired up with a veteran like Hamannick, who does a great job in his defensive zone, and that's kind of his, his forte, is defending in the defensive zone with stick-checking and his ability to be a little bit physical. That makes a lot more sense for a young guy like Yolevi or Rathbone at a certain point. And just like, I know Yolevi's been fine so far in his first few games. Like some would even say good. And I think that some of the analytics back that up, but it still opens up the door for Jack Rathbone. Like right now, you you just don't put Jack Rathbone there with Tyler Myers for kind of the reasons that I just outlined. 
But with Hamannick there as a certain partner, it just makes makes a lot more sense and it opens up more doors for the defense core to me. What have you thought about Travis Hamannick through the first couple of games? Because to me, like he looks like a guy who hasn't had a training camp. And he looks like a guy who hasn't played in like 10 or so months. But I think he's he's settling in. Like you start to see signs where he just... He looks like he's getting better with each game. You know what I mean? I thought he had a pretty solid game in game two. I don't know. Like, what are your thoughts on Travis Hamannick through the first two games in a Canucks uniform? Yeah, like, try doing the intro to this show without 10 months of practice. Like, imagine jumping right back into the podcast after 10 months and trying to say, whatever, like, welcome to the Canucks conversation presented by, which, by the way, I don't even know if you mentioned presented by uh, the great folks at Zephyr Epic in the intro. I did. Okay, whatever. Whatever. Anyways, what I'm saying, Travis Hamannick, yeah, I, th- I think he's been, I think he's been fine. I think he's been a guy who, who I think is okay in the Canucks defense core so far. I still, I still don't know about the the pairing with him and Quinn Hughes. Like it definitely opens up a lot more doors for Quinn Hughes, and it's probably, it's probably a spot where it's somewhat comfortable for Hughes, even though it's a different player. It's a similar type of player to Chris Danev, who was his partner for most of the year last year. I just with him, I. I like I'd like to limit his minutes at five on five a little bit just for creating offense, but I thought that he's been fine. Like I think that he's going to be a part that's going to help this Vancouver Canucks defense core a lot this season. And I think that he's been fine and he's been pretty good on the penalty kill as well. So I, I think that there's a lot of room to grow, but you're right. Like this guy gets into what, two or three practices, like no scrimmages and then jumps right into games. Like he's a vet. He's done it. What is it? 12 years in the NHL or something. Yeah. He's obviously not what he was when he was younger, but he doesn't have to be that, right? Like, he just has to be a veteran calming presence on the defense because that's what this Canucks defense really needs is, is someone to calm everything down at times. And I think he's going to do that for this Canucks team. But I like the idea of him with Yulevi or Rathbone. I just think that that's going to help the defense core as a whole. Man, could you imagine? Nightmare scenario here. But could you imagine? It was looking like they were going to go into the season with Ben on the third pair. Could you imagine if they don't sign Travis Hamanick? They go with Ben on the third pair alongside Yolevi, and Myers has to play on the top pair with Hughes, and then Ben gets COVID and Miller's out. Who's the next guy up in this nightmare scenario? Like, is Jalen Chatfield playing NHL games? Is he playing the first week of the season? Like, is that what's happening? <laughs> Man, why'd you got to go down these dark roads, Quads? Well, yeah, I, I pro- he probably would be. Yeah, he probably would be. It almost happened. And here's the thing, like Travis even said, like he had to, he mentioned to Jim many times, like, I want more depth on the blue line and he needed more depth. And holy cow, thank God that they, that they went out and got Amnick because I just, that's a nightmare scenario. Like what, like, honestly, I'm not going to lie. No Hamannick and Ben's out, whatever. Canucks are 0-2. I'm I'm going to, I'm going to stick my neck out and say that Canucks are 0-2 if they have to have Jalen Chatfield and Ollie Olevi both in the lineup at the same time. Yeah, or you got Quinn Hughes playing like forty-five minutes of five-on-five of five time in the first yeah. two games because yeah. like you you do not want a Olevi Chatfield pairing out there. Like like Olevi doesn't, doesn't have to be like he doesn't have to be sheltered like he was in the playoff game. Like he looks he looks fine. He's healthy. I think that's the biggest thing for Olevi is that he's healthy right now. He doesn't have to be sheltered as hard as he was in that first game where he was six minutes and you could talk about every single skate every single uh, push of the skate that he had in that game. Cause I know you've broken down the six minutes at length, but yeah, it's a, it's a scary situation to look at Jalen Chatfield and Yolevi as your bottom pairing. So I, uh, I'm very happy that Hamannick is here to secure things up a little bit. And, and yeah, there's, there's a lot of questions with the defense core. And um, 
I'll uh, I'll make you happy here, Quads. Let's let's talk about the goalies a little bit because now we've seen both of them once at least. Yeah, so I'm not surprised that Braden Holby was as solid as he was in opening night. Wasn't sure if he was going to get the opening night start just because, uh, you know, with Ian Clark, you know, Demko knows his philosophies more. So you would think that maybe Demko would get the favorite here to be the start. So what what was really interesting to me was that also, what the hell did I just say? I just, yeah, that was a sentence. <laughs> um, but w- that was really interesting to me. And I think that's a testament to, you know, you, you, if you've listened to this show for a while, you probably heard Kevin Woodley come on the show. Or maybe you fast forward it like Chris does whenever Woodley and I talk about goalies for 45 minutes. But something he mentioned was Holpe's a fast learner and he's one of the fastest learners in the league. And Woodley has worked alongside Holpe, has seen him, and he says, like, to see how quickly this guy can apply stuff to his game, it's mind-boggling. And we saw him at camp, and I think I may have mentioned this on the show, but there was a moment where Chris and I were both looking down at Michael DiPietro and Braden Holtby, and they're doing the same drill, and DiPietro was better at it. And it was a drill about moving in the crease while keeping square to the puck. Holtby was dipping his leg a ton, which is normal to see from a goaltender, but DiPietro was in ready position at all times and was hardly even moving his feet when he was moving laterally across the crease. And I know that's something that Ian Clark really preaches and wants Holtby to work on. I thought Holtby looked exceptional in his start against the Oilers. I know... You know, that's not a slight on Demko. Demko was fantastic. That's why I think, like, I've said it all along, the Canucks are going to be just fine in the net. I don't think they're going to have any issues in the crease unless somebody gets hurt. Uh, It's just, you know, these guys were both really solid in their starts that they got. Demko didn't get any help. Holtby definitely got some more help, but Holtby was also really good. Like, Holtby made a lot of saves that were not easy to make, and he made a lot of lateral movement saves, which are the ones he struggled with last year. I don't know, like, I think we're starting to see the early returns of Ian Clark working with Holtby paying off, and I know that was a huge reason Holtby wanted to sign here, so, I don't know, like, I think the first two games are a really good sign for Canucks fans when you look at the goaltending situation, and, you know, the early returns of Clark and Holtby working together look to be pretty good. Yeah, I'm I'm excited for that relationship to develop as the season goes on, for sure, and and yeah, I, I was impressed with Holby. I thought he looked good. He made some good saves. I was impressed with Demko at times too. I know he had a, a couple unfortunate goals go in, but you know that that's going to happen when you play against Connor McDavid, who flies down the wing and <laughs> like busts down. Could you imagine trying to be a defenseman and he's coming down the wing like that? Like what is it, forty miles an hour? I think that they've or sorry, forty yeah, kilometers an hour. Thirty four. Thirty four. Yeah. yeah. So I looked this up. The fastest that they've ever tracked Connor McDavid in a game, and at one point in the twenty nineteen season, so last year. At one point in the season, they tracked him at 44.5 kilometers per hour. What? How is like that even flying. possible? Absolutely flying. So um, I, I want to wrap things up a little bit before we get to the prospects uh, report here. But there's one thing I want to add. Like, Louis Erickson in or out of the lineup on Saturday, yes or no? Yes, he's in. Who's out? Is it McEwen? Is it Roussel? Is it, you know, Vertanen? Like, who's out? Nah, I think it's McEwen. I think Vertanen plays third line. You think McEwen gets taken out? Because, you know, Roussel's played less. Yeah, I don't think Roussel comes out. I think it's McEwen first. I think, I think, I don't think Jake's going to come out, but I also wouldn't be surprised either if Travis wants to send a message. I wouldn't be surprised, but I don't think it's the best move. Personally, I think Vertanen's good for the third line. Yeah, I wouldn't be surprised if it was, I mean, I would be, I would be, you know, I would be a little bit surprised if it was Jake. I think that, I think McEwen comes out, but McEwen's had, 
I thought McEwen's been okay at times. I thought it, like he's been pretty good, actually, a, a certain amount of time, bringing the physicality to this team. That's something that they need. But he hasn't had anything that's clicked, but neither has Roussel. So I think both guys are options to come out. But I think Jake slides down to that third line if they do go with Louie because I don't think Louie's playing on that third line. I think the fourth line's been great. Like, not great. Like, I, I say great and it feels weird coming out of my mouth. But, like, the fourth line's been pretty good <laughs> uh, of actually putting together some some decent play. So uh, I don't think they touch that fourth line. And, yeah, like, if I had to guess, I do think the Huglander goes up to the first line. I think Louie slides into the second line. I think Jake goes down to the third line to play with potentially – Man, like I don't, I don't know. I I have a weird feeling that Roussel comes out, but he's been killing penalties too. Like he's, but then again, you're putting Louis in, so he makes a lot of sense to kill penalties. So yeah, I think that I got a weird feeling that Roussel comes out of the lineup, who hasn't been a healthy scratch very often for the Vancouver Canucks, if at all. I can't remember him being a healthy scratch for the Canucks, right? Like, can you remember him being healthy scratch? No. No, I can't yeah. off the top of my head, and, no. And obviously it's happened to McEwen a lot. So, yeah, it makes a lot of sense, like, as the type of coach that Green is, that it would be McEwen. But it wouldn't shock me if it was Roussel. Like, I, I think that, unfortunately, I think we are going to see Louis play with um, Horvat. But, I don't know. It's it's We'll have to wait and see till Saturday when the lineup comes out. And I'm sure Green's not going to give us anything in the uh, nope. in the morning Zoom call that we'll get from him. So, yeah, that's all I got oh. there. On the, That's all yeah, I got uh, on the Canucks. Do you have a prospect report, Chris? I do have a prospects report, yeah. So, big weekend for Vasily Podkolzin. It was a big weekend last weekend. You know why? Because he was a huge matchup against Ska's rival, CSKA. And who do they play this Sunday at 7 a.m. Pacific time? None other than CSKA after four days off. Does Vasily Podkolzin get back into the lineup? After having a media, media crap storm... Uh, you can put the other word in front of it if you want. After a media crap storm in Russia, he got back into the lineup. And I think that we're at a certain point now where we are going to see him still in the lineup for Ska. But, man, if he's taken out of this lineup for another rivalry game, like, this is a great situation for for Ska to send another message to say that we're mad at you, Vasily. We're mad at you for not signing that contract. We're going to sit you out of another rivalry game, which would just be so stupid to see again. But it's very possible, again, that they do sit him out. So... We'll be, I'll be following that one very closely on Sunday, 7 a.m. when they play. Um, then they're back in action on Tuesday uh, against Avto Mobilist, who features which player quads? Nikita Trampkin. There you go. Look friend, at you learning the KHL. Friend of the show. Friend of the show. Friend of the, friend of the show. Doesn't answer my DMs. Uh, but, yeah, I think that um, that's going to be an interesting situation for him. And then the other one that we saw come out uh, early on Friday was Northeastern and Boston College were supposed to have two games against each other. Uh, those games are canceled slash postponed. I guess they haven't really decided exactly what to do with that due to COVID-19 protocol, which is unfortunate. So um, it'll be nice to get uh, Aiden McDonough back on the ice pretty soon here, but he won't be back there this weekend because, you know, he's had a really good start to the season. And the cool thing is, I think I talked about this last week on the show, but he's playing with twins right now. He's playing with a couple of twins. So that's kind of cool uh, for, for McDonough getting the full Canucks treatment. So that's kind of a, a fun fun story to follow, and I'll uh, check in with him uh, when they get back to playing and see what it's like to play with twins because, like, a lot of players would love to play with twins who are connected out of the mind. We'll see if the Jackson twins are the same uh, as the Sedin <laughs> twins. Obviously, they aren't. But, I mean, it, it must just be cool to play with twins at the same time. And you know what? Like, I say it every week. I miss I miss talking about Huglander on the Prospects Report. But uh, that's the way it is. 
Okay, we get to talk about it on the main show now. Thank you so much to Dave Nordham for joining us on this episode. For Chris Faber, my name is Dave Quadrelli, and you've been listening to The Canucks Conversation. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more and is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. 